Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am talking with Matthew DC, founder of Oomph. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. No, thank you for having me, Roy. Pleasure. So you guys have created some amazing coffee geekery products, as you put them. You're a two-time Kickstarter creator. Uh, you launched your first version of Oomph Coffee Maker back in 2016. Over a thousand backers raised over sixty thousand pounds for the original version. You've got version two going on right now on Kickstarter. So I always like to ask my guests, you know, where where was the inspiration to create Oomph? You know, where where does this product start? Okay, so uh, it actually starts from another business that I was uh, involved in, um, where we essentially provide coffee, coffee machines, and and servicing um to hotels restaurants bars and offices and the the product idea essentially came from when i was driving around visiting customers and so on and uh, sometimes demonstrating the automatic machines and it, it struck me that well, why is no one sort of at that point aeropress wasn't about <laughs> at that point it struck me why hasn't anyone thought of doing this piston delivered coffee um, because the taste is much better, I perceive, than, than a cafetiere. So I basically started to sketch out ideas and so on and so forth. But at that point in time, because it was a sort of a fledgling business that I was involved in anyway, I didn't have the money to be doing two things at the same time. So it sort of stayed as a dream on paper. Uh, I did get it to the point where I felt I had enough down there to then put it onto a, a patent application. So we, we did that uh, and sort of got the got the, the blueprint down if you like but it was a few years later before we could actually uh actually attempt it beautiful so when you were creating this product at least initially what did the design process look like like how did you go about deciding what features to put into this because there's some unique engineering built into this yeah so i mean essentially at, at first i was just trying to replicate the brewing mechanism inside an automatic machine which is essentially a piston and I'm sure you're aware pistons have been around for, for years. They're nothing new. We've been used in coffee machines for about 30 years, um, long before any sort of hand devices came along. However, as you'd imagine, there's a lot of patents in the industry. It's sort of a it's a it's an industry which the, a lot of, there's a lot of love in that in the sort of coffee creation industry. So people spend a lot of time trying to figure out new ways of making coffee, and hence the uh, patent uh, landscape's quite a quite a minefield so it's sort of the first few ideas you came up with but they were basically similar to machines that were already out there so they had to be adjusted slightly so we actually um, worked closely with a patent 
company which actually helped us to make sure that we weren't heading down any rabbit holes in terms of the way it, it looked which was a an interesting thing for me it wasn't just a case of oh this is a good idea let's get it down it was well that's a good idea but this is how i need to adjust it to make sure i'm not infringing on anything that's uh, that's already out there and uh, there's a lot of machine manufacturers out there and a lot of pistons inside machines so it was it was quite difficult to do that um at the point when i was so the coffee piston itself once once that was developed it was then a case of i incorrectly now i know assumed that people wouldn't ever push down on a piston without having some sort of protect protection of it, the, the seal failing uh, i now know obviously there's other products on the market that, that do have that and um, but for me that was like how am i going to do that how am i going to get something over the side that shields the user at these huge pressures with hot water and coffee uh, sort of had visions of people, you know, squirting themselves in the eye with boiling hot water and, and and suing me before it even got off the, got out of the starting block. So it was that sort of creation of a sort of unit around it, and then the real eureka moment, which allows you to go for a patent, was um, which is basically defined as a creative step. They will call it. it means you have to have a creative step that is not in existence at the moment, and mine was. How do I get the brewing that's happening at the bottom? So I'm getting brewed coffee in a piston that goes into the bottom, which is readily available in lots of different ways. How do I get that back inside into the top of the of the product? So I'm not taking up any space. Obviously, if I'd pushed it down, uh, I would have ended up with a, an item that was incredibly long where it was brewing in the top and then transferring into the bottom. Um, which would have left a huge, you know, a huge product for people to carry around, which wouldn't have been wouldn't have been tenable so the real eureka moment was how do i get the coffee to not the brewed coffee and into the device without wasting space so it was taking the coffee that was brewed and circulating it back round and hollowing out the piston so in fact as the piston came down the coffee filled into the piston behind it and um, so it's that circulation and free chambers that was allowed us to go for patent because no one had uh, had done that before either in a machine or in a handheld device and then a lot of it, to be honest with you, Roy, I wish I had a better explanation of it. A lot of it is then solving problems. You know, you solve that problem. And then the prob- next problem that faced us was when I did the first version of it, it worked. It made a great cup of coffee. And then sort of myself and a friend who was on my engineering course who was helping me that day, basically we, we said, right, now let's separate it. And we couldn't separate it. It took one of us at each end. And my friend nearly hit his head against the kitchen top when we actually managed to separate the two sections. So then it was, like, how do we put some sort of mechanism in which allows us to separate these two uh, pistons without it, um, you know, without it needing so much force? And, and that came with the fin design, which was basically, as you twist it, it sort of pulls itself away, uh, like almost a gearing mechanism as it twists it it pulls itself out at the same time so the user can effortlessly sort of overcome that initial inertia. Uh, and then the last bit is beautifying it, which we use someone to help us to make it look a bit prettier because the one that I'd finished wasn't the best looking. So we use the company to help us to, to make it look a bit better. So once you had that initial prototype done, going back to the first campaign back in 2016, what did the preparation look like in terms of launching the crowdfunding campaign and what made you choose crowdfunding to launch this innovation with? Mm, I wish I had a better explanation for this, but it was probably a bit of desperation. We run out of money, to be honest with you. 
I'd put as much as I could into it. I'd gone through the sort of uh, the typical friends, fools, and family that that would uh, lend you money. And um, as a startup business, a bank's not interested unless you've got money coming in. Really, so there's no point in even going to a bank. As we had this other business, we were able to put a bit more money into it, but we could see that we wouldn't have enough money to get it launched unless we could, you know, really use something like Kickstarter to crowdfund it and get it off the ground. And um, that that essentially is the main reason for looking at, at crowdfunding. It was genuinely that we needed to launch the product. Um, yeah, what I, was some of the prep work leading up to the campaign? So in the first one, the first one's a, a, a bit. You're sort of finding your feet as you're doing it. it was it, we um, we employed? I employed someone who um, I needed someone. I, I'd obviously realised where I was strong. So with the current company, we were very good at Google, very good at uh, display advertising, and so on. I knew Facebook was sort of big with with crowdfunding, and um, I basically looked at a few people online who were into coffee. Uh, you know, people who were running uh, WordPress sites and blogs and things like that that maybe were into the marketing side a bit more. And I found this gentleman who was really into coffee, who, who did a blog and was also running a, a, a digital marketing uh, consultancy. I basically approached him directly and said, would you, would you help me with this uh, project and come on board, uh, you know, throughout, for the campaign and we'll pay you, a, you know, we'll, we'll pay you for doing so um it had the benefit that obviously it was a product he was into because he was spending his personal time blogging about it but also he had the he had the necessary credentials to help us to to do the campaign and so we we really took his lead on it Uh, and in the first campaign it is you know you're sort of finding your feet as you're going through it really uh we discovered uh your uh cross updating with companies because as we launched well we got approached uh, by companies saying will you cross update with us we'll we'll sort of promote your product you promote ours so we realized about that and we had a pretty good launch we did a launch party but then it dried up and we had a really big lull uh, in the middle of the campaign and uh, sort of we both really didn't know what to do with it so strangely enough we actually didn't start advertising on facebook on our first campaign until after about it was about the 16th day so we're already you sort of you know halfway through our project by the time we really started to do any sort of advertising on Facebook and then we um we were doing it manually so we were literally looking at where the sales were coming from matching that up with our adverts because we couldn't track it and um we worked together on that it was a basically a, a mixture between him being good at marketing but not necessarily good at sort of tabulating the figures and making sure that it was accurate what he was doing and obviously I was good at the accuracy side and putting spreadsheets together because from that sort of background in terms of engineering and and design but not a marketer marketeer really so it was sort of the the two the yin and the yang sort of thing that, that helped us to then start to get it sort of motoring again uh where, where, and, and you know it finished quite well towards the end of the campaign so now that you guys are on your second campaign what marketing techniques have you changed or improved upon to you know again this campaign launched and you did twenty five thousand pounds i think on the first day what have you guys changed uh in seeing you know the greatest roi on thus far Okay. Well, I mean, the, the, the big one is obviously you learn from your, your mistakes like everything in life. So we, we, when you do it the second time, you should be doing it better. You know, 
COVID-19 aside, we, we would have probably done two and a half times. I think we'll still, hopefully, fingers crossed, get close to two times what we did on the first one. But I would say that I would say the the main thing is our is our customer base. So as we created a product, brought it to market, we went in there with sort of a really strong sort of subscriber list. You can have a subscriber list, and we had one last time about two thousand subscribers. At this time, we went in there with sort of not far off thirty, um, but we have a sort of a real strong sort of fifteen to twenty that have bought the product and really, you know, like people that. To give you an idea, we sent out um, before we came on to Kickstarter. We involved our our crowd, if you like, from our first campaign. We've kept them, and we set, sort of basically sent this email out to all of these people who own an umph and said, "What would you change about umph?" You know, these are our ideas about what we'd like to change. What do you think we should change? Even to the point of view where we sent them six versions of umph visually and asked them to pick which version they would like. So it was that real engagement with with them. I mean, if I told you we sent out a survey to one and a half thousand people uh, on one of the questions about how we developed the umph, and we got a response from around one thousand two hundred people um, who filled in a fifteen minute survey and sent it back. I mean, that in my other company that's unheard of to get people that will put that much time and effort into telling you how to improve a product. You know, even your open rates typically are below 10% on good products. So to have that much engagement, we felt confident that our list when we went in would give us a give us a good return. And they did really. Yeah. And speaking on the engagement part, you know, give me a little bit of your experience in working with and communicating with your backers so far, you know, with over 1,200 backers on your first campaign and this one with over 1,500 how have you managed the feedback and then how has some of that feedback potentially guided some of your new product design? Um, during the campaign or before the campaign? I suppose guiding the design will be before the campaign and then um, handling the, 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 the comments and so on in the campaign. Do you want me to go through both or is one more of more interest to you? Yeah, whichever. I mean, again, you know, I'm sure with the first campaign four years ago now, Hopefully those folks are still engaged and loving your product and hopefully many of them have returned to back the newer version. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I'd say the most useful is was pre, pre-project because I think that if you think about the, the money that's spent by some huge companies to essentially try and get people that will give them feedback and, and, and really shape your product design, I, I would be sort of, slightly remiss if I wasn't to sort of acknowledge that a lot of the design features have come from customers you know we've had customers one customer even basically who's an engineer wrote a possible you know solution to an issue that we got and literally to the point of he did diagrams and sent it the thing must have taken hours for the guy to do who's a retired engineer but I mean I'd say that that and listening to those people taking the time to write back to them, taking the time to, you know, you can't reply to everyone, but at least if you sort of like or share or, you know, give them some form of sort of feedback, um, people really, you know, really appreciate that and they feel part of the ride, really. I think that's essential that people do feel um, part of the journey. Uh, That makes them support you more because they're part of your, you know, like supporting a team or supporting anything. Uh, in, in the sporting world or anything like that, if people feel part of it, they will support it and they'll push it. And even to the point where they'll defend your product. Sometimes we'll go 
online to Facebook comments and you know you've got some naysayer saying oh it'll never work and some you before we've even got on there one of our backers will have said it does work I've got one it's great I use it twice a day and this is how it does it and it's really it saves you a lot of work it, it, it's it's such a powerful thing really if you can but the key the key thing I think which is what you're sort of driving at an answer for from me is you have got to basically create that journey for them you know with us it was this is the product we, we we obviously appreciate you really like it but we also know that it could have been better and you know you're literally starting from that that we could have made this product better these are the ways we think we could have made it better how do you think we could have made it better and then each of those people votes and then you send that voting back to them so they can also verify that these guys have actually listened to what we said we can see how people have voted so we sort of made them part of that look this is what your opinions were this is what the crowd's opinions were you know to float that back to them that then stops people then getting upset with you maybe not taking their opinions on board because they'll think oh well i asked for a pink one but it looks like no one else wanted a pink one so fair enough they're not going to go for that whereas if you know you didn't feed that back to them you so yeah the last question before we jump into the the launch round is What's the one piece of advice that you would give to a new startup entrepreneur creator that's looking to launch their Kickstarter campaign uh, to help them succeed? Um, I think it would be, you know, build a strong list for that first day, definitely. Uh, when you launch, you've got to launch with a strong, uh, not just any subscribers, really engage with your subscribers. Don't engage before you launch because remember that people will get bored if you're you know so go quiet for a bit before you launch don't sort of you know speak to people you know send an email out three days before you launch or anything like that we just literally went quiet for one week and what you found is that built up a bit of curiosity for oh, what's going on here they said they were launching around now and then it was just bang we launched and that seemed to really work because it sort of created that little bit of frenzy sort of type behavior from people wanting to get those early deals. Um, so yeah, I would say really work hard on that list. And then you can hit the list more than once during your campaign as well by segmenting who maybe didn't click on it. So you're not mirroring the people who did click on it. So, you know, really watch your list, segment it appropriately and, and get as big a list as possible. I'd say that's gonna be your biggest return on Kickstarter. Solid advice. All right, this is going to get us in the launch round. You ready to go? I think so. <laughs> so, so what inspired you to you be an entrepreneur? <laughs> what was that, sorry? Inspired you to be an entrepreneur? It was just a natural thing, really, I think. I, I wasn't very good at working for people. Uh, I was in sales, um, in IT. I did really good, and... Um, I thought I could do this for myself, rose-tinted glasses. I then realized how hard it was. Obviously, you've got costs and things. You don't just make a sale and that goes into your pocket. But I would say, yeah, it was just that, really. I never really conformed to sort of doing the right things, dress code-wise and stuff. I just couldn't get to grips with being told what to do, really. I think for most people, it's a natural, a natural thing. Yeah. So if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would you want to have a cup of coffee with? Any entrepreneur. Mm, I don't want to say someone that's cliche, but I probably would want to meet someone who's cliche. I probably would want to meet um, Bill Gates. I probably would want to meet Bill Gates. That's the truth. Um, yeah, he's definitely in the news these days with coronavirus, and you know his TED talk from six years ago resonated oh, quite well today. 
Yeah, yeah, the one where he predicted it, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I would, just because I think he covers so many... Um, he covers so many bases as an individual. You know, I always remember watching an, uh, an interview from the guy from IBM who said that he had a solicitor in the room and an accountant in the room. And he said he knew more about computers than I did, more about accounting than my accountant. And, you know, more about, oh gosh, I forgot the other person, but basically more than everyone in the room about their own individual subjects. So he's just an impressive guy, really. So it would be, uh, it'd be pretty cool to meet him, I think. You'd definitely Absolutely. get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, any book you would recommend to our entrepreneur and startup listeners? The Goal by Eli Goldratt. It's um, a book I read a while ago. Was my father-in-law forced me to do it. It's um, it's a very strange book because it's written as a novel of a guy sorting his life out. Um, but in it are sort of engineering principles and physics principles that are sort of lightly dropped into to conversation. And it's, uh, I think for anyone looking to go into business, it sort of, it, it cements a lot of uh, good business ideas without you knowing that you're absorbing it because you read it like a novel. But yeah, the goal, it's a really good book. Nice. All right. Last question in the rapid fire round, Matthew, what does the future of crowdfunding look like? With COVID-19, that's a difficult question, isn't it really? But um I think it's getting it, it's getting difficult, and and from our perspective, it seems like some big guys are sort of ruling the roost a lot more than the first time that we did it. It's got harder to to to, to do well on it, I suppose. But um, but at the same time, you can get big figures in the in the middle ground. So maybe it's got fairer for everybody. Um, but it's got it seems to be you know sort of your your people who are doing it multiple times. If you can get into those top rankings, that's still where most of the big, the big money is to be made. But I think it's probably it's slightly more level playing field in those top positions now than it was when I did it. It's not as sensitive to that being in that top ten. Um, there is still a obviously a, a, it is still good to get up there, but it seems like you can make middle uh, you can make money in the middle ground, which certainly wasn't the case the first time I did it. It was basically like a desert as soon as you went out the top fifty. Whereas it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Yeah. Well, Matthew, this has been awesome. I know uh, our crowd is going to get a lot of insights out of this. Uh, this is your opportunity to give that crowd your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go, and why they should check out Oomph. Okay. So the Oomph is basically a pressure brew coffee maker that is designed into a perfect travel mug. Uh, the first time we did it, we, everyone said the coffee was great, uh, but it needs to be more portable. And Umph 2 is exactly that. It's, uh, you know, very portable and it looks pretty cool too. Beautiful. Well, audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Okay, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, Leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. 
It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.